Under the Dome Radio, the full fan feedback discussion for Season 2, Episode 11, Black Ice, recorded September 11th, 2014. Thanks again for joining us on Under the Dome Radio. It's the unofficial podcast by and for fans of CBS TV's Under the the Dome. It's episode 45 of Under the Dome Radio, and that means the show notes will be at underthedomeradio.com slash 45. And we want to hear your feedback, your dulcet tones, your thoughts, your theories, anything you got. Just go to underthedomeradio.com slash feedback, and it'll give you all the ways you can get in touch with us. We want to hear from you. Operators are standing by, and Under the Dome Radio is a proud member of Noodle Mix Network, as well as being sponsored by our affiliate links. You can Pre-order season two of Under the Dome on Blu-ray, DVD, and many other uh, formats, I'm sure. Just go to underthedomeradio.com slash Amazon for the details on that. Me, I'm at Wayne Henderson, your voice acting, podcasting, Green Bay Packers fan. And whether I'm practicing my drift racing moves in my 2003 Dark Shadow Mineral Gray Mustang Mach 1 while driving on black ice or just having some peppered egg whites, I'm glad to be here for another episode of Under the Dome Radio. And I'm at Troy Heinrichs. I actually learned my medical skills from Don't Call Me Becky, Rebecca Pine, because apparently science is all she knows. And there's so many branches to, to Becky, Rebecca's science tree. Oh, man, she knows it all. She is quite a uh, smart cookie, I guess you could say. You could say that the undertone of Under the Dome is that we need more STEM in our females as we teach education throughout the years. Oh, nice tie in uh, being topical and timely there, Troy. Good job. Well, that was part of my breaking news for this evening, so show's over, but... <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening. We'll uh, go through some more breaking news, of course, as we then go on the air where we discuss Black Ice, and then on location to hear from all of you, the fans that make this show possible, and then our investigative reporting section, which actually has some pretty cool stuff in it this week, as we had some book shout-outs, and then requests and dedications where we... Thank all the people that helped get the word out for this great, fine podcast here in Chester's Mill. Excellent. That sounds like a lot of good stuff. Let's get rolling. Let's uh, go straight to the breaking news. How are the ratings on Under the Dome? We've kind of been joking that every single week there's something to compare it against or say why it didn't do so well. And guess what? We got one of those this week as well. Oh, tell me all about it. Well, apparently two of the major markets actually had some football overrun. So because of that, some of the major markets didn't have as much viewership of the normal television that was going on on Monday night. And so we came in at about a 1.44, which I believe is up from last week. I thought we hit a series low 1.2 last week, if memory serves. But the, uh, we're back up in that about six and a half million spot for the viewers for live plus same day. But then if you go back and actually look a couple weeks ago, right before Labor Day, uh, Neil from Bowie actually let us know that the DVR numbers actually leapfrog up to almost 9.8 million viewers. So things look pretty rosy. Number eight overall for the same day, but then jumps all the way up to number four for the DVR playback. I'm just stunned. I, I find it so hard to believe, but the, this is good news for the show Under the Dome. Yes, because I just saw the press release for the season finale and it is labeled a season finale. Not a series finale, but a season finale. So season three must be coming around the corner. Hmm. Nothing official, but we'll wait and see. I mean, the numbers basically don't lie. If they just go on the numbers alone, 
I could see a season uh, three coming our way. If they go it with it from the angle of what more can we tell to this story, I'm getting a little nervous <laughs> that there's anything else that could be told. But uh, let's just go along for the ride and see what happens. Well, this week it was written by Adam Stein and Peter Calloway and directed by none other than Jack Bender himself. And with that, we will dissect their work as we go on the air. And Wayne, I ranted last week, so why don't you take the floor for the first rant this week? Okay, well, I could start almost anywhere. <laughs> okay, but we're watching this show because it is so insane and unbelievable, okay? But for me, like all of these weather changes, they are really, really really stupid you know we've had rain dust red rain i can't you know i can i can easily believe a mysterious dome trapping a town but not this near-death freezing that turns back into a sunny day all in one episode just because so i'm gonna go with hashtag need another bag of whoppers and in case you hadn't seen mr henderson's video eating his happy pills we'll make sure we get a link over to that at under the dome radio.com slash 40 five for this episode and if only somebody would have told me i'm supposed to take them out of the bag and not just ingest the whole thing it would have made a lot more sense but still happy 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 you know what doesn't make sense <laughs> where do i start tell me about it troy tell me why is the one guy wearing like a full radiation suit with the forceps to go touch the egg when the guy is in a very generic white suit not feet away from him and then the black ops guys are like yards away, not wearing any protective things at all. I mean, is the radiation suit really needed? I think that's all the guy had to wear that day to work. That's the only logical explanation. I mean, that's a good catch because I'm wondering if this is all being thought, thought through all that far. And more importantly, when the egg actually appeared magically out of thin air and landed at some poor kid's feet that was coming off the slide, don't you think they'd all be dead laying there right now from radiation sickness? I would think so, especially since this is, like we've mentioned many times, based on a book by Stephen King, which you can, of course, uh, buy yourself if you'd like at underthedomeradio.com slash book. But yeah, I would think there'd be a lot more casualties on the show. I'm not rooting for casualties. Let's not go crazy here. But it is a Stephen King themed show. And if that egg is all that dangerous, that poor little kid coming down the slide, that was probably going to be the end of him in you know real life when real life eggs land in your playground. So Melanie has a connection to the egg clearly in this episode. And we were talking about how Melanie might be kind of a drifting character this season. Cause in episode one, she seemed very connected to something. We didn't know if it was the dome or the egg or what it was. And then she just seemed to be Melanie all by herself. But now she clearly has that tie into the egg. So I go back to my original question around what's connected to the egg and what's connected to the dome. Because in season one, the visions that were happening of Joe, the Monaco be crowned and Alice, they all happened near or around where the mini dome occurred. Okay. And then all of the visions that we've seen this year happened nowhere near the egg, except for Angie in the bunker. So it goes back to my two faction theory of are there two different sets of visions happening because Melanie is really part of team egg where Dodie and Linda and big Jim might be part of team dome because Pauline is getting her visions and paintings from the egg, not from the dome or something. She might be drinking. 
So hashtag team egg, hashtag team dome. And if the writers or anybody involved with the probable season three are listening, I think they'll take that idea to heart and make the uh, two factions come into being. It's almost, you know, how the things are kind of tied together. Another way to look at it is kind of like the upcoming Apple Watch, which you need to have an iPhone for it to really work together. And I think that makes total sense because who else besides an iPhone owner would even be looking at an Apple Watch? I don't know. To me, it still seems like it's something we wear on our wrist and I don't need anything to be on my wrist because I haven't had anything on my wrist since 2007. But I've always had something on my wrist and look at all the people that wear Fitbits, probably more Fitbit wrist wearers than watch wearers. They combine those two things. I think it's a win-win. But now back to Under the Dome Radio, already in progress. The more important question is, did Hunter hack your Fitbit or your Apple Watch before you even had a chance to put it on? (laughs) That Hunter, he is a genius. Now, Pauline and Big Jim this week. I thought these were some of the better scenes. My rant is that these scenes fall flat because for the whole season, I don't care about this relationship. Same here. And I think that's the issue with most of these characters. I mean, even Barbie and Julia's scenes this week were really touching, really sweet. No, they weren't. Well, if you would have set it up right over a long (laughs) period of time, like a Juliet and Sawyer or a, you know, Jack and Kate, if you will, from Lost. Or even Nikki and Paolo. Right. Or even Olivia and um, Peter in Fringe. You know, you build up these relationships over time. And I think that's why these dialogues just seem so contrite and forced because you don't have the investment in the characters in the same way where you truly want to feel what they're feeling. And it just it just comes off flat, I think, overall. And so even though the scenes were great, because I, I love Pauline's line, right? Pauline's line of, you know, you don't know who I am. I don't think you ever knew who I was. What gives you the right to make judgments on what is best for other people? I thought that was an absolute great line. It pegs Big Jim perfectly. And in this episode, we actually grow with Big Jim to the point where I think he finally comes to that realization of, oh crap, I have been wrong this whole time. True. He has been wrong much of this time. At the same time, he's not the one who ran off to Zenith, leaving her uh, child behind. So I sense uh, Team Wayne votes for Big Jim and Team Troy votes for Pauline. (laughs) Possibly. Like I've mentioned in the past couple of episodes, I'm at this point, I'm just totally on board with the Big Jim Rennie bandwagon and whatever he's going to do. I'm I'm all behind it. I'm let's see what happens. Let's go, Jim. Well, everybody's hating on Big Jim this week because even Barbie is screaming at him. We're the ones that are in jail and you're the one that put us here, Big Jim. And I think it was really in that moment that Big Jim just went, oh, crap. I get the sense that they're leading up to a season finale here. Well, it has to because there's only two episodes left. And there's not many other weather patterns that we can bring in. I mean, okay, the the freezing special effect, that was kind of cool. But it didn't really start moving until Joe touched it, which I don't know if that really means something or this whole concept of the upper atmosphere that you talked about the other day, you know, coming down. It doesn't have anything to do with a dome rotating and something else has got to be doing that. And then they quickly correct it in the cloud shot when they're outside of the school. And this is all before, of course, the the dome starts shrinking somehow or the egg. If this is like you talked about, just a giant egg in the ground. 
I mean, that was the first thing I noticed when Joe puts his hand onto the dome. I would expect his arm to immediately move at the speed at which it was moving in the next kind of two shots. But at first, when he puts his hand on the dome, there's like a whole three seconds before his hand actually moves, which means that the dome wasn't moving till Joe touched it, which means the dome can't be moving and pulling the upper atmosphere down. So something else has to be controlling the weather climate in the dome, not the rotation of the dome. The weather is just out of control under the dome. Because the dome is moving, the clouds start to streak down the side, but it's not because the weather is causing the clouds to streak down the side. Of course it's not. (laughs) Oh, we could talk weather all day. No, we can't. Let's just move on and forget if it ever happened. (laughs) Oh yeah. Cause sports is coming up in 10. How about Becky? Otherwise known as Rebecca Pine, everybody's favorite science Zen master guru. Send everybody to the church. She says, Nobody goes. Yeah. Half the people could go to the church. Half the people can stay here. And we never even see anybody leave to go to the church. What's up with that? <laughs> What's the line for then? Well, I, I think the folks in Chester's mill remember the last time what almost happened when they went to the church and Becky was involved. You mean they became part of the cult of big Jim? No, they, they almost all got poisoned from the, the water. Oh, that's true. Yeah. I totally forgot about that. She had to get tackled out front by, uh, by super Julia. But then we have another great Pauline line where Big Jim's like, I did this for you. It's because I did it for the family because I love you. And she's like, that's not love. That's narcissism. And that's probably the most syllables that we'll get on Under the Dome in season two. Narcissism. And then she continues, I told you what you needed to hear to get you out of my way. But even lying to you doesn't work. (laughs) If I had that much hate in my relationship with my own spouse... I have picked my death too. And poor, poor Jim. And I know, hear me saying something like poor Jim. I mean, he really thinks that he loves Pauline and was really stunned to see the fact that evidently a whole bunch of people knew that she wasn't dead and nobody told him, the husband. And so he's distraught, but at the same time, happy she's back. And now it's, you know, within just a day or two, as far as dome time, uh, his world is crashing around him. Yeah, crashing so much that he has to go confide in his own son. Hey, uh, uh, James, can you uh, you know talk to your mom for me? I'm kind of in the doghouse. <laughs> this whole family. We thought it was first, it was just Jim. And then we thought, okay, it's rubbing off on Junior. But Pauline, too, the, the whole family is a dysfunctional mess. I don't know if we're going to find out that, uh, miraculously, there's also a second cousin to Junior. Or uh, maybe he has a half-sister, too, that's going to be very important and maybe the true savior for the folks under the dome. And then we have one of these magical reunion scenes that have been built up the entire time yet completely falls flat when it happens as Melanie sees Pauline for the first time. Next. Well, she, she tries to convey that she's generally sorry for everything that she did to cause her death. And Melanie's like, well, you didn't kill me. And Pauline's like, yes, but I know I have to atone for it. The dome wants me to. And the thing that I still keep coming back to is we still don't know definitively if Sam, Lyle, or both, or somebody else pushed her. I know, because from what Melanie says, it's Lyle. Of course, she could just be confused or lying. But that one scene that you had me go back and watch from the vision or her memory, whatever it was, it really did look like there were two boys standing there. One with girly hands, but they the two pushed 
pushed her in. Well, let's go ahead and talk about our two favorite people, or at least your two favorite people, Wayne. Good old Julia and good old Barb. I mean, Barbie. Barb's, Babs, all of those things. You know, they're back to whining about another food shortage. And just after we got this windfall a few days ago, don't time. I still don't get that. Why is the food shortage an issue? I, I swear in that episode that Andrew Grinnell said we could feed the town for months. Exactly. Unless somebody's taking more than their fair share and they're just chowing out big time. And none of this would even be an issue if... Babs and Julia would have let people know about the underground tunnels and the cliff portal and all that good stuff. Everybody could have escaped. They could be in Zenith and travel from there around the world and live happily ever after. But no, the portal is gone. And again, I'm siding with Big Jim. Uh, These people should not have kept that type of thing a secret. Not at all. But of course, tragedy must strike under the dome because there is nothing else to do because we're trapped once again because the passageway to Zenith has been cut off. And of course, people forget how to drive when there's ice because it's the middle of summer and why would there be ice on the road? And the ambulance falls over and crashes. Awfully easily, I might add. And if there's such a food shortage, why do they need to fill up the ambulance? They could have just taken the Prius and just filled up the trunk. Exactly. Plus, it would have given us a second opportunity to see the Toyota logo on the back. My goodness, the proud product placement Prius strikes again. You know, I wonder what these people uh, that are all into their Julia's green Prius would think under the dome if I was cruising around Chester's Mill in my 305 American horsepower Mustang Mach 1 V8 engine just zooming around. Well, they wouldn't let you drive that because it would suck up too much of the gas. We need to keep the heaters running at the school, Wayne. They'll never catch me. (laughs) It was just a thought. I mean, this... I, it's one thing to have, you know, a corporation help subsidize your show with some product placement. But <laughs> this past week, that was the most over the top that I've ever seen on a television show ever. I mean, the the it didn't even come close on Fringe when they switched vehicles one season from Ford to something else. I forget what it was. And then, so magically, everybody's vehicles were changed out. But. This is taking it to a whole new level. So what is the Prius? Maybe it's tied to the egg somehow. Maybe the Prius is powered by the egg. Maybe the dome is the fault of the Prius. And if Julia Shumway never would have come to town in that vehicle, none of this would have happened. The line I love in it, though, is kind of like the line that Mel Gibson gives in the movie Ransom when he's like, fuel up the jet. We're going to Guadalajara. She kind of tosses her the keys. It's like the Prius is fueled up and ready to go. It's kind of the same thing on a smaller budget. Going back to that conversation with Junior and uh, his dad, I thought that was actually a really great conversation. And it's something that Under the Dome does really well. I don't know if you ever pick up on this, but they have two people in this really intense and heated moment. And it's like, well, I knew that she was alive a week ago and I didn't tell you because you're a jerk and all this other stuff. And they're literally just jawing back and forth at each other. And then all of a sudden it's like, wait, the earthquake happened because of the egg? Let's work together and be teammates again. (laughs) I just have to laugh on most television shows. And maybe they're intentionally making Under the Dome different. But remember, the show is on at 10 p.m. Eastern Pacific, 9 p.m. Central. It's a late time slot. What I was expecting to have happen is when James don't call me junior because he's not a kid. He is an adult. Let's say, what is he? Probably 23, 24, something like that. When he tells Big Jim that he's known that his mom's been alive for a long time and I just didn't tell you, I would have expected Big Jim to just smack him 
yeah, shove him up against the wall, something, and just be like, how could you keep this from me? I'm your dad. And then Junior could come back with, you've never been a father. Sam was more of a father than you are. Exactly. It'd be more real. It is the 10 p.m. time slot after all. I mean, they put it there for a reason because we thought, you know, and, and initially in season one, you know, they were talking about, well, the show was originally meant for showtime. And so it's really over the top and gritty and all this. And I'm like, after school TV specials have more grit than some of this. Even the one where we learn about what a bill is. Yes. I love that one. Do these characters hear themselves when they're saying things out loud? Like, this must be due to the egg. <laughs> I know. I know the egg is the star of the season, but just to have people saying things like it must be due to the egg. Just every time I hear something like that, I just laugh my head off. I'm like, what on earth? And then Melanie passes out. And I thought, finally, it's the the end of of Melanie. But no. Well, and then Hunter asks questions about the egg, trying to figure out everything he can about it. And this is clearly sending signals to Joe but not to Nori. Did you notice how Nori actually kind of like smiles at his joke about, you know, the doctor taking care of him with his frostbite and stuff. So there's clearly a connection Nori starts to feel towards Hunter. And what I thought was kind of a stroke of genius. And after, on the second watch, I think that Joe picked up on it too. And that's why Joe utilized Nori for his plan to sneak into Hunter's bag without Nori even realizing Joe was doing it. Really? I would find it hard to believe that they had that complex of a plan uh, working. <laughs> but I'll go ahead and go with it. I'll, I'll go with that. I got the impression that I just thought that Nori, that kind of a semi-smile was just like, <laughs> this guy thinks he's really cool, but oh my goodness, why is he being so suspicious? And here's the one thing that at least they've been consistent with on Under the Dome is that the kids always seem to give up pertinent information at the wrong times without consulting with anybody else, right? We should all have a say on where the egg is, where the four hands we're supposed to, you know, have, you know, complete uh, control over what happens. And here's Nori sitting on the steps with Hunter. Well, you know, all the hands that uh, need to touch the egg are here inside the dome. Just give it out freely. And Nori was the sane one. Was. I just don't know where to go with that. Going back to the ambulance now, we have this. Oh boy. We have this accident. The metal rod is stuck in Julia's leg. Remember now, she went in the back to tie down a gurney so that it wouldn't slide around all over the place. Keep that in the back of your mind. We'll okay. come back. We'll come back to the gurney in a little bit. Okay. But she's sitting there laying on the ground and they're trying to stay warm. And I thought, I got to chuckle out of this because she says, if I didn't have a giant piece of metal stuck in my leg, this might almost be romantic. And I stress the use of the word might be romantic. Did we mention that she met the guy three weeks ago and he killed her husband? And she knows that that's about the part where I, I kind of threw up in my mouth a little. <laughs> that's why I was like, might <laughs> love the use of that word there. That was pretty good. That, that whole scene like, Oh, please don't make me ever watch that scene again. So Joe is uh, not Joe. Jim is actually excited because now he gets to go be the hero once again. We're running out of fuel. And of course, Big Jim knows where there's a ton of fuel. And of course, once again, set up a really great way to come back to the propane tank story and go get some propane to bring over to run the generators. And we don't go to that storyline at all. Surprised. <laughs> I didn't know if it was just uh, 
faulty editing or they hope that we wouldn't notice. Or maybe Big Jim just totally forgot that that was part of his plan. Yeah, he happened to just go to a boat first because he thought maybe the fuel was over at Agatha's house across on the island or something. I don't know. Maybe. I mean, that this was the part of the episode that I kind of liked was the fact just seeing Big Jim out there by himself at a new location, or at least at night, it, it resembles a new location. It's something we don't really see. And he's bundled up and he's got his what, like gas can or whatever he's got. And then, of course, that's about the time Lyle decides to bubble up in the middle of the freezing night. I don't know where we still don't know where he's been or why he was delayed. We may or may not find out. Well, I have a theory on that. I can either share it now or I can hold it till after all the other listener theories have come through. Let's save it till after the listener theories, because I think we can play off uh, what a couple of these definitely have to say. Let's but let's not forget. Anybody that's ever been a Boy Scout or done any kind of lifeguard, life-saving uh, stuff will immediately cry foul at this scene because when someone is drowning in the water, you always throw the life preserver or life buoy past the victim. You don't throw it short because they're drowning. They're not going to swim to it. And you do not throw it at the person because you might actually knock them unconscious. So fault for Big Jim for throwing the buoy short. And you think this was the only scene in the episode where somebody might have cried fault? It's the one I was like, because I... You know, after doing life-saving training, I was like, come on, is Big Jim really that weak? He was a football player. Chuck that sucker out there. <laughs> he's going long. He's going long. Um, okay. I didn't, I didn't throw the touchdown. I just blocked the kick. <laughs> oh, man. I, I knew we'd get to sports in about 10 minutes as predicted. You know, who knows what we're going to have coming up next on, on these reports here. But okay, I'll go with that. I didn't catch it because I haven't had that uh, safety training. Well, Lyle is back from his travels through time and space, and he's having these visions of the whole world on fire. He, I, I double-checked. I wanted to make sure on the second watch, he did say the whole world on fire, not just Chester's Mill. That might be important, and maybe the dome is there to protect them after all. And this was my favorite little scene of the episode. I knew that it would involve Lyle because he's one of the cool ones on the show, and just the fact that Big Jim made that line about, well, wherever Lyle's been traveling through time and space, I still think that was pretty funny by Big Jim. But that's a good catch about the whole world. Now, is Lyle's uh, vision, is he just confused at what he's seeing that he thinks it's the whole world? Or like you said, Troy, it might, might be very important that we key on the fact that it could be the whole world is, that's on fire with, uh, what do you say, flames a thousand feet high? Yeah, a thousand feet high. And I'm just going to throw the theory out there now because I can't hold it back. <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm ready. Okay, so everybody else kind of comes back about the same time. But you notice that we had like two characters return, and then we had two more characters return uh, at, in the uh, episode where they all come back in the red door. So they didn't all come back at the same time. So the theory is, is the amount of time you spend in your, we'll call it flashback, premonition, whatever you want to be, whatever the gray smoke monster did to you, that time that you spent in there was real time. And that's why Lyle came back later because he was getting a much longer vision of what was happening. Uh, by choice. Do you think he was purposely trying to get as much of the vision as he could? Potentially he could have been like, Oh, I need to see what's coming. Cause I, I believe in the rapture. I'm one of the chosen people. And then maybe when he wasn't the chosen person, then he was like, get me the hell out of here. And he comes up in the water. <laughs> I could see that. I like that. 
I really like that, Troy. Well, then we have Hunter. And we all thought he was kind of shady to begin with. And of course, it turns out that he is shady. And he's out at the dome wall sharing information. But then he says, well, I'm only doing it because they're going to turn me in if I don't give them the info. And is that just a cop out? And he's really working for Don? Or is he really trying to be friends with his heroes because he worships Nori and Joe because they're the cool people under the dome? The Hunter character. I'm, I'm ready to be done with him. I, I think that he, the way he's acting gives me the impression that he's not really starstruck with, with them, that he's just being a suck up basically. And I believe he's going to triple cross uh, Don Barber. Don't know with who yet. It's probably probably going to be some grand reveal that we'll see in the final five minutes of the episode on what is the finale? The, 22nd. I think that sounds about right. Yeah. I like what you said about suck up because even though it seems like he's a fanboy and he's really excited to meet them, I think he's playing off of that to get the information that he needs. So I, I agree. I think suck up is the better terminology for it instead of fanboy. I mean, after all, I believe he's about 10 years older than them. And it's just kind of weird that he's like, Oh, you're, you're the, you're Joe. And this is Chester's mill. Uh, now, you mentioned earlier that we were going to go back to this whole gurney stretcher thing in the ambulance. What was it that caught your eye about that scene? Okay, so number one, granted it's cold out, but you have a gurney stretcher that's on wheels. Couldn't we just roll Julia to the sweet briar and run faster in the first place and not have to do the whole hypothermia thing? Or was it even after the hypothermia thing, like he, he Barbie picks her up and carries her. Now, if I'm a human carrying another human for that long stretch of period in the dark on a road that may have more black ice, I would slip and fall and kill both of us because we'd be laying out here and get hypothermia and freeze to death. So they spend so much time thinking about, well, we can't do this and we can't do that. So we have to stay here and the gas will keep us warm and the petroleum jelly candle will keep us warm. And, hypothermia will stop the, you know, they, they calculated everything. And then at the last minute, Barbie's like, I'll carry you all the way when they could slip and fall and die very easily. <laughs> Why wouldn't he strap her to the gurney and just push the gurney to the sweet briar at the end of the episode? That I think would be a fine idea. In fact, he could push the gurney, give it a bit of a start in case it's downhill and it could roll fast. And then he could climb underneath and just hang onto the axles again, like under that truck. Oh, that's even better. See, you're always thinking, Wayne. I think that would be an awesome scene. <laughs> and of course, Troy, the dome is shrinking. And and like you said, a little allusion to uh, Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope. Uh, if, if it gets that skinny and it starts crushing all the homes and bringing all the buildings and the school all together until they're only 20 feet apart and some people are still alive, that's when I'm going to be cr uh, crying out foul. <laughs> And I like how we use the term shrinking there. I mean, there is a listener theory coming up that I really like as well, but shrinking is actually a really interesting concept because we assume based on the camera angle that the dome is contracting, that it is shrinking inward. But what happened if it's actually shrinking downward and squashing them from top to bottom rather than from side to side? Because as it would shrink into the ground, it's still curved so that earth could technically move in that same fashion. I would think. Exactly. Yeah, pretty much. I could see that definitely happening. 
And I do hope that's the direction they're going because I want to see the dome becoming smaller as it uh, sinks down into the earth. Maybe it's going to pop up on the other side of the world. I don't know. But uh, Troy, I'm all in on that one. Count me in right now. Because it would make more sense that if it's coming down from the top down, why that barometric pressure reading would still be so high. If it was going side to side, I don't think the barometric pressure would be as affected because you'd have a taller, skinnier dome and the pressure would be you know, higher and the pressure would drop. Now, you know you're talking about science, and uh, Rebecca Pine is definitely the, the, the one we should consult on these types of things. Well, that's what I did. I looked up Beccapedia.com. <laughs> Beccapedia. Nice. Uh, well, it's that time. Ratings for this episode. I yield the floor to Wayne Henderson. <laughs> oh, my. I feel like I'm on the hot seat right now. Uh, this episode... Um, it made us chuckle a lot, I'm sure. I'm going to give this episode 4.5 cold as black ice skid marks. And I'm actually going to up my rating because of the scenes that were actually done very well. So I'm going to meet you at the same spot. Unfortunately, this will probably be the Maxine episode of season two. And I'm going to give it 4.5 unused gurneys. Wow, 4.5. That's on a scale of 1 to 10, right? Uh, last I checked, yes. <laughs> Just making sure. Because if it's on a scale of 1 to 5, people are going to think, wow, that was an awesome episode. <laughs> Just clarifying there. Okay, let's go on location because listeners have great feedback and a whole different way that we can look at the uh, shenanigans that are going on under Chester's Mill. So let's fire it right off. With a voicemail all the way from Bowie. Hello, this is Neil from Bowie calling to Under the Dome Radio for Under the Dome Black Ice, Season 2, Episode 11. Uh, the episode opens up in Zenith with the egg on the ground there. During the episode, when the Actium people are trying to get the egg, Melanie suffers in Chester's Mill. Hunter appears during the episode to first be working with Barbie's dad, but he actually tries to help Melanie by telling him to stop messing with the egg. Looks like he has natural curiosity about what is going on and just appears to be the acting on mole, but he really cares about the people under the dome. For some reason, during the episode, the dome is rotating, which affects the weather. Joe leaves a bloody handprint on it. Is there a connection with one of Pauline's paintings? Big Jim does seem genuinely upset that his plan did not work, and later in the episode, he actually saves Lyle, who has now appeared in the lake. Lyle does not have the egg, and it's unfortunate that the hope that he would intercept it in limbo did not come true. Lyle did have visions of the whole world on fire. Perhaps this is the disaster which the dome residents are being protected against. Without the egg under the dome, Pauline no longer has her visions. She still, though, hasn't tried to examine her last vision that she painted. Be nice to have some discussion about that. Melanie continues to suffer throughout the episode until the dome starts screeching. She bolts up and says, It's starting! For some reason, the dome is now contracting. So we have under the dome the original four hands, plus the three remaining new hands, plus Julia, the monarch, and Barbie, who left the first bloody handprint. I think it must be some combination of them that will stop the dome at some point in the next two episodes from crushing them all. Meanwhile, over on Hands of Diana, they show a video taking place before this episode, which shows uh, 
pressure crushing a can. At the end of this episode, there is an increased atmospheric pressure with the dome contracting. There was an older video on the site promoting the Hound site, and it says the site doesn't know where their founder Dromos is. We know, though, he is under the dome. Neil. Thank you so very, very much for uh, putting all that together. A lot of great thoughts in that one. So we want to thank you for that. Talking all about uh, the Hounds of Diana, as well as the dome contracting and some of the other metaphors that they've been using. Uh, great stuff there. And I, I always forget about the Hounds of Diana thing. I don't know why, especially since we have good old Hunter, uh, the representative under the dome. But uh, what do you think, Troy? A lot to think about in there. Yeah, I really liked how he mentioned that the bloody handprint. I didn't even think about tying that back to the four bloody hands we saw in Pauline's sketchbook. And that was a really good call out by Neil because maybe this is one of those four bloody hands. Barbie's being one, Angie's being two, and now Joe's being three. So there might be a fourth one yet coming. But I really like the idea of we should just have an episode where uh, we have an art show. Pauline can just display her paintings. We can all stand around and go, you know, this painting is really a modern work where it represents this and they could actually just interpret the paintings for an entire episode to see what happens next. I could see that, you know, Big Jim would be the real metaphysical one talking about how looking at this one here, it gives me the sensation of my lungs being turned inside out, wrapped around my head as my child and my wife stab me in the back. Wow, you're you're, you're reading way too much King lately coming up with that. <laughs> this is true. This is very true. A lot of Stephen King reading. Um, highly recommended. But I, I do like what Neil mentioned that that one painting, at least her most recent one, could be analyzed. And the fact that uh, maybe the whole world being on fire that Lyle talked about and the dome is actually protecting them from that. Because, of, as I mentioned before in past episodes, so far the dome is not doing very much in the way of protecting. So something big better be happening to the outside world pretty soon. Well, I know the perfect person that could interpret that painting, Wayne. Yes, who? Star pupil from Zenith High School, art class himself, Mr. Hunter. Well, I was hoping we wouldn't have to see him again, but okay, we could ask him. He is the star pupil. Great art pupils always go on to be computer experts and uh, make underground websites. Neil also pinged us back on Twitter and thought this was kind of funny. He said, that Big Jim said, don't let the truth get in the way of a good story. And he was wondering if this was some kind of metaphor for Under the Dome. <laughs> yeah, that definitely is a metaphor for something there. We also throw out on Twitter a question of the science teacher, now an ER trauma room facilitator too. Really? And we had William the Bloody write us back and said, of course she knows all things science, science. <laughs> she blinded William the bloody with science. That is a great Twitter handle. Bloody William, AKA William the bloody. Nice. And then we had Sandra on Twitter also write in and said, the kids had a project on how to actually create defibrillators from soup cans. Julia will be just fine. <laughs> <laughs> They must have took lessons from uh, the professor on the island, not the lost island. There's our weekly tie-in, Gilligan's Island. Uh, and then at the end of the episode, we put out the tweet of, what, what, wait, whoa, call now, 904-469-7469. And we got the tweet back from Jonathan, who said, I think they're all going to hell. Are they in a handbasket by any chance? 
I'm sure that Pauline could make them one with her star people hunter. And between the two of them, they're going to be unstoppable. That's good stuff. All right. Well, brace yourselves because Lucifer is back this week under the dome radio fans. I'm still braced from last week. First, James, don't call me junior. Now, Becky Pine. Nobody calls me Becky anymore. Good catch. Later, Barbara, I'm more comfortable with Barbie. Uh, all the nicknames that are out there. It's just crazy. Uh, this episode is frozen over. I thought Elsa is coming to Storybrook and not Chester's Mill. But wait, <laughs> she may actually be stopping by. Rebecca, just when I thought I could not appreciate her more, a science teacher turned into a scientist and now a trauma doctor. I wouldn't be surprised when the dome takes off, she'd be an astronaut. <laughs> okay. Oh, uh, what a character transformation. Hashtag character transformation. Big Jim, the good slash bad slash good slash bad. Uh, I don't I don't know anymore, but I love it when he helped Lyle because for a second or a couple of seconds, I thought he'd just leave Lyle behind. But to be honest, Lyle could just reach the surface really without the help of Big Jim. I actually pity Jim. I so pity Jim. He deserves someone, not Pauline, maybe Nori, Becca, just for fun. I love it because Sir Troy made a reference to Grey's Anatomy. I'm glad because I watch it too. I think Rebecca Pine can cross over to Seattle as a trauma doctor. <laughs> I love it. Oh my. That's uh, a doctor show, right? The totally doctor show. And it had an ambulance accident. Very similar in nature. Uh, the egg is shrinking, but I am more excited when it actually enlarges. What would happen to the black uniform security when that actually happens? I think it's shrinking because the egg is no longer providing the power source, just like Melanie is weakening. And Hunter, the hacker slash mole slash unpredictable person, maybe he just wanted to help after all. I don't know, but what's his name, aside from Hunter, which is obviously not his birth name? I think those questions are boiling inside our head, and they will not be answered before or after the finale. They'll just be trapped under the brain. Excellent stuff, as well as being hilarious, but very great observations. And yeah, I really wonder about all of those things as well. And also great to uh, hear your moniker of Sir Troy again. Sorry, I was tweeting Jack Bender and saying, dude, we need to make Rebecca an astronaut. I thought that was awesome. <laughs> well, if the egg does totally take off Chester's Mill, you know, being trapped in it, you know, it, it, so it's going to widen again until it gets back to the bottom part of the egg. Then it's going to get real tiny and then poop, or maybe more like. Well, and that could be the Steven Spielberg alien tie in is that she does have to become an astronaut to go get the aliens to help them out. Oh, boy. We digress. Uh, Lucifer also drew actually a really great picture, which we're actually going to put up at the Domehead Wall of Fame. Remember how he said, what if it was a dragon's egg? And if the whole world, not Chester's Mill, the whole world was in flames, then this picture will actually make sense when you see it. Head on over to underthedomeradio.com slash domeheads, or we'll also post a link to it in the show notes at underthedomeradio.com slash 45. We don't want to describe it. You have to see it because it will make sense if you remember his dragon coming out of the egg theory. Absolutely. And... It's a lot better art than what uh, Pauline's been drawing. So for that reason alone, check it out. 
Well, Tiffany wrote back and said, whoa, so many twists. The preview definitely did not give any of this episode away. Totally not what I expected. It was incredible. Whoa. And then Tim actually wrote in, and this is what I thought was really interesting. Uh, Just one quick question. We all are assuming that the dome is contracting. We think it might actually be shrinking coming from top to bottom. Tim actually says, how do we know that the dome itself isn't just moving, like being drawn to Zenith where the egg is? Whoa. Um, That would be awesome, Tim, especially because then Pauline could take credit for envisioning, you know, she said that she went to Zenith thinking that the dome would follow her. So one would think the dome would kind of fly through the air to follow her there, not just travel through the ground. (laughs) But uh, they better get a bigger special effects budget. Well, we only did see that one angle in that one side wall of the dome. So it it could move. It could be moving. We don't know what the other side of the dome looks like. Because remember, over on the other side of the dome at Julia's house, the magnetism didn't affect it. So maybe on that side of the dome, it doesn't rotate and it's not cold and it just is moving along. And then in that other area of town outside of the dome where the destruction happened from the Moab missile. Yeah. Why haven't we gone back out there and seen if uh, Coggins bloody ear print is there? That would have been cool. If the dome is rotating, have Coggins bloody ear come around and Barbie's bloody hand come back around again. See, just the small touches on the show would be so cool. They would definitely be something that would help warrant this 10 p.m. time slot. Well, I think Tim was thinking out of the box this week, so we're going to go ahead and make Tim the honorary under the dome DJ of the week. That's right. The dome is moving, and that is why it's digging up the dirt. But we'll have to wait and see. Only two episodes left this season to find out if that would actually come true. And with that, we come to the spoilery section, our investigative reporting. So if you have not read the book, we definitely do not want to spoil you this week because we will talk about the ending in detail and, of course, give you the teaser for the first part of the season two finale. Okay, but don't leave all together because we have other good stuff coming up afterwards. Just maybe skip ahead a little ways. Now, clearly two book shout outs right away in this episode. Number one, Hunter was like, did you know that there's a little bitch road? That's totally awesome. And then Joe's like, yeah, that was the best part of the dome. And you know what? It was the best part of the dome in the novel. (laughs) Because the little bitch road is exactly what you drive on in order to get to the apple orchard where the mysterious Apple TV, I mean, dome generator is sitting inside of a fog of nuclear radioactive material. Now that's cool. That's cool. And it would have been such an awesome special effect to see the fog of radioactiveness on TV, which is what I was dying to see when I heard they were going to make under the dome into a TV show. So Mm -hmm. I really hope that that still plays out at some point. Exactly. Not to mention Pauline throwing out the little mention of the mighty, muddy woodchucks, which in the book, the woodchuck gets chopped in half instead of it being a cow. And that's one improvement on the TV show, because I think cutting the cow in in half is more iconic and a little more impressive of a visual effect. Where's the beef? There you go. And we got to see that during the intro of almost every single episode ever since. (laughs) Here's the spoiler for the end of the book. Turn it down. 30 seconds. Now the dome is contracting or shrinking or moving or whatever. Right, Wayne? Right. That's what they say. 
wouldn't it be super awesome if as it contracts, it actually runs into the storage area of the propane tanks and we get the massive propane tank explosion that happens in the book, which then makes the entire Chester's Mill barbecue occur and kills everybody under the dome except for a few people. Yes, I would be all for that because that's some big time action that uh, was one of my favorite parts of the book. So for those of you that are still listening and want to know what happens, so the propane tank storage is actually at the radio station and Phil is actually in charge of guarding the propane tanks because he is Big Jim's boy after all. And he literally pushes a garage door opener, which basically sets off a gigantic detonator explosion and literally torches everything like a giant barbecue uh, flame balls going 10,000 feet high, rolling through the entire dome in one direction. And of course, then because of the flame balls broiling everybody that is in its path, then the fallout is our last couple of people, the kids and Barbie and Julia. And now they have to breathe in this toxic air because of course they're still trapped under the dome. So if that happens at the end of season two, that would be awesome. It would be a great return to form. That is for sure. But of course we know what's going to kind of happen next week. So I don't know if that's going to happen or not, (laughs) but we can still hope. So next week, the residents of Chester's mill will find themselves at risk of being crushed to death. No under the dome Monday, September 15th. This episode will be called turn. And when a new threat from the dome intensifies, the residents of Chester's mill find themselves at risk of being crushed to death. That's too bad. Meanwhile, Melanie's health continues to deteriorate as the fate of the egg remains unknown. That's too bad as well. Now, it's going to be written by William Kendall and Daniel Truly, and it'll be directed by co-executive producer Peter Leto. Now, the key here, though, is the interesting people who are going to show up in this episode. So we are going to see... One, Dwight Yoakam again, muttering around about tall, towering flames. Thank goodness. We're also going to see one Brett Cullen, Mr. Don Barbara. That'll be interesting. Of course, Mr. Hunter himself will be there as well. Great. But guess who's back? Who's back? One, John Elvis, playing our good friend, Mr. Ben Drake. Interesting. I wonder if we'll recognize him. He's growing up so fast each, you know, last time we hardly saw him, and that was months ago. But dude skateboarding on the side of a moving dome. That's awesome. It is. The rules don't apply during an apocalypse. (laughs) Great lines. Good stuff. And it was great to interview him last year during season one, because he had a very prominent role. If you uh, have lost track now that he's only appeared in three minutes, this entire season. Yeah. He had to stash the mini dome in his room. It was like having a bunk mate. It was good times. What's interesting is the description, the official description of the episode talks about a new threat from the dome, whereas we're usually told the dome is there to protect them. So they got to make up their minds. Well, and I love how they use the term crushed. So if you're going side to side, then the dome would technically squish. But if it's coming top down, then it would be a crush. Just saying, play on words, take it, take it for what it's worth. You know, the other day you taught me, you schooled me all about the difference between stalactites and stalagmites. And now I know the difference between squished and crushed. I'm learning a lot of stuff just by podcasting. Thank you, Troy. 
And before we get into requests and dedications, we have to throw one lost reference in. I know Wayne kind of mentioned the island, but in this episode, wasn't it amazing that Julia was able to stand on that leg? So the healing powers of the island, I mean, the dome must be really fantastic. You would not believe it. In fact, in a future episode, I would not be surprised if we find out that Julia, before coming to Chester's Mill, was in a wheelchair. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Let's get to requests and dedications because I love that stuff. Well, we did have an iTunes review and it came in from Taterman from the USA. And Taterman says, Wayne and Troy are outstanding, much better than a couple of the other podcasts for Under the Dome. Great knowledge about the episodes and all the subject matter. And of course, love all the associations given to Lost. That's why I threw that one in there. <laughs> I appreciate that. And thank you so much for that uh, review. That is excellent stuff. We appreciate it. And of course, you can leave your own review over at underthedomeradio.com slash iTunes. Five stars written review definitely helps out the show and makes it get noticed for more people as it looks like we will be back for season three. And then we had an email from Chad. Chad said, I've been listening to you guys for a couple of months now, but I wanted to write in and tell you how much I enjoy your podcast podcasts, plural, because I see you also do resurrection podcast. I love under the dome and I'm about a quarter of the way through the book. I heard about your Amazon link on your podcast and had to buy some items anyway. So I used your link, random items, including battery spacers, button cell batteries, and a rain gauge. Keep up the great work signed your Vikings fan, Chad PS. I hate that. I'm going to have to partially root for the Packers. Now that Aaron Rodgers is on my fantasy football team. Oh, well, <laughs> you know, everybody ends up rooting for the Packers in one way or another if they want a good quarterback in their fantasy team. Chad, thank you so very much. Very kind of you to use our Amazon affiliate link at underthedomeradio.com slash Amazon. You've got yourself some great products. It does help support the show. And I can only imagine what you're going to uh, build with those things put together. You know, if you uh, chat with Rebecca Pine, she could probably put those things together and build a maybe a space shuttle. Oh, my goodness. But uh, excellent. Thank you so much for that email. And thanks for mentioning that uh, Troy and I are also doing the Resurrection Revealed podcast. Resurrection returns to ABC on September 28th. Totally different kind of show from Under the Dome, but still some great mind bending theories that we get to talk about. So thanks for coming along with that. That picks up that picks up right after Under the Dome ends. So we'll just transition and flip the switch. And with that, we have come to another great evening and of all the fan theories and fan thoughts. We thank you guys so much for doing everything that you do. If you do listen to the show in your podcast app in iOS, again, you could just go ahead right from there. Leave that five star written review right inside the podcast app. We'll keep playing in the background because Apple's cool about that now playing the music in the background as you do other things. So go on over and just leave that five star review. And of course, you can always still order those t-shirts and coffee mugs with the Under the Dome Radio logo on it. Just head on over to underthedomeradio.com slash goods and pick up a mug or t-shirt today. A full collection would be in order, I would say. Thank you so much in advance for that. And of course, this show is made possible by you. And we need those secret propane deliveries because you never know when Jim's going to find some of them. So send some propane deliveries to the station. You just go to underthedomeradio.com and look there on the right sidebar. There's three beautiful types of propane that you can, uh, quote unquote, donate to us to help sponsor the show and keep this underground radio station running. 
And of course, we love connecting with all of you on Facebook and Twitter. We have all of our social links at underthedomeradio.com right up at the top. And if you like listening to the show in Stitcher, iHeart, or TuneIn, we have direct links to those as well. And again, thank you so much for being part of our great Chester's Mill community. We look forward to chatting with you again next week. Thanks again for taking the time out of your day to listen to Under the Dome Radio. Be sure to share your thoughts and theories for the next episode of the podcast. Just go to underthedomeradio.com slash feedback for all the details. And until that next episode, I'm at Wayne Henderson. And I am at Troy Heinrichs, waiting to see Rebecca Pine fly through the air on her spaceship as we stay trapped under the dome. Under the Dome Radio. Under the Dome Radio is a proud member of Noodle Mix Network. Get more of our award-winning and award-nominated podcasts to make you think, laugh, and succeed at noodle.mx. Get organized in your personal and professional life. Laugh with our clean comedy. Theorize over great television shows and so much more. All waiting for you at noodle.mx.